Oh, hello. And welcome to Property Prompt. The game show slash podcast that shines a spotlight on new and existing writers via the medium of chatting, creative prompts, coffee and chaos with me, Letty Butler. And me, Stephen Meller. Or Dave, as we like to call him on this show. Here on Prompty Prompt, we don't just talk about a writer's life, the highs and lows and all the bits in between. We don't just promote our guests and their work and unearth their top writing tips. But we challenge them to write, live, in response to a series of creative prompts. Oh, what's a prompt, Dave? A prompt can be anything, from a word, sentence, a picture, anything that gets the creative juices flowing. So the first challenge is a pre-prepared prompt. Guests get one week to write a 200-word piece, which they will share on the show. Round two is a completely unseen prompt, which they'll hear for the very first time live on the show. We give them three minutes to craft a response. And last but not least comes the grand finale. Exactly the same as round two, but with only one minute to come up with the goods. Sounds fun? That's because it is. You can play along at home and we'll tell you where and when and how during the show. Or perhaps you're just listening in for the sheer entertainment. This is also fine. This week we have novelist and ex-circus performer Ian W. Sainsbury and novelist, screenwriter and co-host of the bestseller experiment podcast, Mark Stay. It's one hell of an episode with copious controversy, gill girls and werewolves at the prom. Right. Well, hello, everybody. We are very excited. Dave is hosting today, so I don't know why I'm doing the introduction, but I am. Um, <laughs> welcome, Mark. Welcome, Ian. Well, that's um, just giving away who the guests are. I've got all this, this spiel as to who <laughs> well, the guests are. Why did you are. ask me to introduce you? I thought you were just going to go, hello. Sorry about that. <laughs> right, hello. Okay. Well, I'll go, Off well, you go. Well, I'm truly excited. I thought that's what you'd... Because normally you say to me, Steve... Just it's get on Dave, with it. Dave, Dave. I've got to remember my name. <laughs> Dave... How are you feeling today? And I go, oh, I'm truly excited today. And and that's what right. I am. Okay. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> How are you feeling today, Dave? Oh, I'm truly excited today. Thanks, Letty. Great. Because we have two inspirational guests on the show. The first yes. is a gentleman I met a few years ago, and he was incredibly generous with his time and his advice and hugely inspiring. And if that wasn't enough, he has been, get this, okay. a circus performer, musician, Choir master, oh, he runs a choir. I'm saying choir master because it sounds better. A stand up, he's worked with the ventriloquist, which is easy for me to say, on a Vegas show, which I appreciate when I say it like that. It does sound a bit dodgy, but let's just run with that. And now has written uh, 10 books, I think, landed an exclusive three book deal with Audible, and should be a drum roll at this point, but let's not bother. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, was the winner of the Kindle Storyteller Award for 2019 for the excellent psychological thriller The Picture on the Fridge and has achieved all of this while staunchly remaining an independent published writer. Listeners, it's Ian W. Sainsbury. Welcome, Ian. Woo-hoo! Hello. <laughs> that made me sound quite good. Thank you. Well, well, we, we try. We try. <laughs> And our second guest is the author of the amazing Witches of Woodville series. He's also a screenwriter, and this is a big and really big co-host of the Bestseller Experiment podcast, which has celebrated its fifth birthday, its fifth series, 346 episodes, 350 guests with over 1 billion books sold between them, and is responsible for an unmeasurable amount, again, easy for me to say, but I think it's more than a zillion Olympic swimming pools, of belief, 
inspiration, positivity, and community in the world of writers. And forgive me for saying this, but the world we exist in as writers can be a very lonely place. It can, I think it can be very cruel. Yes. We even had a writer on recently who got a bad review off a reader because they didn't like his face. And that's how <laughs> cruel this world can be. Naughty. And for the bestseller experiment to strip through all of that, and create a place we all feel welcome and empowered, well, I cannot underestimate the importance of that. Our second guest is Mark Stay, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, folks. Crikey. That's uh, that's a great introduction. Thank you. My pleasure. I think I I need to lie down now, to be honest with you. Well, (laughs) Dave and I have both got imposter syndrome, so thank you for that. That's all of us. Well, that's yeah, but that's join the club. That's uh, that's that's number one on the tick box of I am an author. One imposter syndrome. Yep. Two naps. Three <laughs> doubt. Uh, four imposter syndrome revisited. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on. Yeah, yeah. So don't worry about that. That's uh, you. You got skin in the game then. Great. Excellent. Great. Excellent. So, I know you both have got new work coming out soon, and or coming out by the time this show goes out live which we'll come on to later, but I'd like to take a little time first in our chat before the prompts. How are you feeling about the prompts, gentlemen? Oh, don't. Terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, never done a prompt before. So No, because you, uh, first of all, I don't really do prompts generally. And, and two, I think you underestimate how much, certainly if, I'm, I'm sure this is the same for Ian, how much of the writing process is staring out of the window or at a blank piece of wall or just deciding to watch something on Netflix instead of actually writing. That is all genuinely part of the process. I hear we have about three minutes to do some of these prompts, so uh, or one minute or whatever. So, you know, it is um, it is terrifying. The, you did send one to us in, in advance, and it only came to me at four in the morning this morning. I kid you not. So this is um, absolutely terrifying for me. So anyway, what I'd like to, before we get on to all that, is how did you both start? And when did you both start with your writing? Um, yeah, I, uh, I did do... Um, English was my strong suit at school, along with music. Um, so I yeah, got decent A-levels. Uh, went off to Leeds University to study philosophy and dropped out after a term. That's when I went and did various other things, like go on, you know, go back into music properly and go on cruises and see the world and all the rest of it. Uh, but I always wrote, but it was more... I think it's songs mostly when I was younger. And then I moved on and wrote some comedy. And and this is going to sound really daft, because if I could speak to my 19-year-old self, because I was 19 when this happened, I would, I would give him a bit of a talking to, I think. I was working briefly at an insurance company in their communications department, and uh, a couple of the guys in there wrote... They used to send comedy sketches in to things like The Weekending and various other radio shows. But they used to meet at this guy's house in North London once a month write stuff send it in they got nothing made and they'd be doing that for about a year and I said oh um I, I, yeah I fancy go at that can you can I have a look at the addresses could can I you know he just basically I got his list of addresses he'd probably spent ages getting these names and addresses of people the right person to send us the script to and all the rest of it and I, I had an Atari ST computer and a daisy wheel printer and I, I, did, I didn't make any notes or anything. I just thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write three or four sketches. And I just sat down and wrote them over a weekend. And I sent them to all the names on the list. And I started getting replies back within a, you know, about 10 days to two weeks. And all of them came back with either with the scripts with notes written on them or with a- actual replies. And at the, 
but I thought all I thought was, well, they don't want it, and I didn't realise that <laughs> if they think you're hopeless, then they just you just get standard less. You don't get notes from the script editor saying you know you might want to think about developing this further, or there's a nice idea in here, but it's been done better by so and so. I just took that as my 19 year old self was going, ah, oh, okay, so I'm no good at this. And then uh, Hale and Pace bought some from my first ever submission, <laughs> and again. Uh, I, yeah, I was really happy. I thought, oh, that's great. And um, and they filmed them and they went out and uh, they were bizarre and surreal. And I was, I still think they're quite funny. And, but I never really pursued it. I just thought, oh, well, that was a nice thing to have happened. Uh, uh, but the other people didn't like my stuff. So uh, I guess I'll go back to music. And and now I want, I'd like to go back and slap myself. So there, I think there was always the interest and there was always, I, I wanted to do it. But I was obviously too easily discouraged. But I've got no regrets about it. And when I finally did sit down and try and write a novel at 47 uh, at the time, I think, or 48, then that was, uh, I had a lot of things that, to write about. When they say write what you know, you know, I wrote about aliens in the first novel. And I think maybe I'd taken that too literally before and thought, you know, that write what you know thing, but you know, I don't know anything. But of course, it's the it's the details. You write about aliens, and then you realise you can get in all this stuff about music and poker or whatever your particular obsession is at the, at the time. All these different stages in your life, you can just you can make your characters come alive because you've had some experience of life. Or for me, anyway, you know, I, I admire people who can do this in their twenties and come up with realistic characters that I believe in. But I couldn't have, I don't think when it came to actually writing something as long as a novel, I could have come up with characters that anybody would have been interested in until I'd actually been around the block a few times. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, no, brilliant. And yourself, Mark? Um, yeah, I didn't have any... Uh, I, I got a place at Ripon and St. John University in York, and when I went up there to have a look round, the first person I saw walking out of the, the entrance was someone I knew from my old school. It's just the most uncanny thing. And I took that as a sign to turn around and go home. I mean, I did the tour and I just thought, I'm just so fed up of education. And I just wanted to work. In fact, what I, want, what I really want to do is act. And I, uh, I wanted to act and I had this deluded idea that I would, you know, uh, be a movie star. And having failed to get auditions for this, that and the other, I'd started my own theatre company and my wife went to drama school and did very well there. And I was working at Waterstones and I was writing plays on the night shift and stuff like that. Uh, and we, we were doing other people's plays. And then I wanted to do a Johnny Spate play uh, called The Compartment, which was a, originally a TV uh, play with Michael Caine. And Johnny Spate died and all the rights for his works were off the market. Frenchies took them off or the family took them off or something. So I had a venue booked and no play. So I had to either lose 300 quid or write something. So I wrote a play about all the terrible uh, camping holidays my parents had taken me on as a child. And it was part play, part therapy. And it was really good fun. And it went down really well. And a friend of mine who, because I didn't know anyone you know, my parents were school caretakers, you know, cleaners. I didn't know the idea of being in books or the film industry. I might as well have wanted to be an astronaut, you know. And a friend of mine who from school who by then was he was a cable basher on things like TFI Friday and he knew people in film and TV. He now makes documentaries for Marillion and stuff like that. He uh, he took me to one side. He said, um, there's 
too many actors but not enough writers you should carry on writing i think that was his way of telling me i was a terrible terrible actor and that was just before my daughter was born so that's 21 years ago so i i took that to heart i because i love i've always loved writing since i was a kid um and just got to it and we wrote a few plays we did sort of a play a year we took one to the Edinburgh festival and various festivals and you know i was it was a great way to learn because you got the audience right there in front of you and you know immediately if something works or it doesn't and i turned one of those plays into a screenplay because i don't think i was a particularly good playwright in the theatrical sense i i was basically writing movies or sort of short movies or uh, on stage and I turned one into a screenplay, and that got me an agent. That got me. That got optioned as well. Uh, and all the time, I'm working in publishing as well. I'm sort of inveigling my way into the publishing world, and um, meeting you know extraordinary people, editors, learning how the whole system works, uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, it introduced me to a director called John Wright, and we started writing stuff together. And we did Robot Overlords, and the next film I got coming out on Welcome. Um, that's uh that's that's what we've been working on we are working on scripts and and writing novels as well so robot overlords came out i did the tie-in novelization with golance and then uh out of the blue someone i knew when i was a teenager uh, a guy called mark devoe said to me um do you want to do a podcast about writing and one thing led to another and we you know did the podcast and the, the idea was with the bestseller experiment mark had always wanted to write a novel but he'd never got beyond 20,000 words he always sort of got stuck uh which I think is the point when you're 20,000 words into a novel you have to start making making really critical story decisions you know you can't and openings are pretty easy to be honest they're lots of fun but then you have to start making decisions with consequences at that point and he'd never done that so we said to ourselves let's um let's do a podcast where we challenge ourselves to co-write a novel and get it self-published and get it up some Kindle charts in a year. But as we do it, we'll interview authors who know how to write and talk about the craft and everything. But I think the most important thing we did was we we, we put the challenge out to our listeners. We said, look, if you've got a half-written novel in a drawer, if you've always wanted to write, if you're starting from scratch, listen, pick up tips from these wonderful authors that we're talking to and people in publishing and beat us to it. And lots of them did. And that's been the most gratifying thing about the, the whole exercises is just seeing you know authors do amazing stuff we've got you know award winners like ian and there's lorna cook and there's queen mcdonald and, and uh you know mike shackle one of our listeners he was on the verge of giving up when he listened to the jabba crombie episode and then he started writing he's now got three book deal with Golance, you know fantasy author so it's you've got all these wonderful examples of people who've gone on to do amazing things and so the going back to the original kind of education question i mean i uh I think it's, you know, I was very lucky because I was working in publishing. I immersed myself in that world, which is a great privilege. You know, it, it sort of puts me one step ahead of everyone else, I think. Uh, so I think if you want to jump into that education, then go for it, by all means. But I, I didn't, I was kind of fed up of education at that point. I, I, I remember walking out of school thinking, thank God I never have to write another essay ever again. And here I am blogging every bloody week um you know doing the same thing so but i enjoy it this time so so do I, so truthfully do either of you suffer from this imposter syndrome because you certainly don't come across as having that in your dna well that's the stage thing isn't it don't you think it's uh you the the limelight thing and mark has got the acting background i've got the music background and uh you know whether you, you go out on stage and 
like a facade it's a persona that you adopt and it's the same thing if you do a, a podcast or someone asks you to write a short bio and you it's 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 like a different person you're writing about or it's a slightly different version of yourself i mean i recently did answer some questions for a, a magazine on writing and i was a bit more honest on that and it felt like i was just allowing some of that to slip away in a good way they actually asked about success which you brought up and I quoted Thomas Merton and he had a great quote about success which I would advise anyone listening to to look up which was basically says he he wouldn't wish it on his worst enemy because if you if if you consider your life to have been a success you probably wasted it uh, and there's something in that that really spoke to me when I first read it and I've never forgotten it and I always think of it and it makes me glad that the imposter syndrome, which is real, I think in, in some ways it drives you on to to keep going because you're always, I mean, it can cripple you, don't get me wrong. So you don't, try not to let it do that. But the day you think, uh, well, that was a fantastic day's writing and I think this book's going to be my best yet by a long way. It's probably the, the day you've lost it, you know. Um, so I don't feel, I get brief flashes of, moments where I think oh oh, that's, uh, they said that lovely thing about my book hey oh and it's gone and I think and I go back to the paragraph I'm working on I think well that's shit the success thing I don't I don't really buy it but it's nice to what it is lovely is just to be able to make a living at it you know would you say that is your definition of success then being able to make a living from doing what you love no not really because I, I never reread any of my books but I do Still, occasionally, I'll trot out one of my old songs and listen to it, or play it, and 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 think, you know, it's, I wrote that twenty five years ago. Yeah, actually, I like that. That's that's good. So that's more of a. I mean, money's fine, but I could go and work at the supermarket, and and still write stories and play around with musical stuff. And uh, no, I don't think the money side is how I would define it. And like I said, I'm a bit suspicious of the whole notion. Yeah. What about you, Mark? <laughs> Well, we um, we make it very clear on the podcast that you define your own level of success. And for some people, it's just simply managing to write every day. We appreciate people have jobs and lives and families and young families or, you know, elderly relatives to look after or whatever. You know, the reality of that we, we hear about all the time. So we don't, you know, I mean, my co-presenter likes to dream big. He's got an obsession with getting a Netflix series, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also appreciate there's a reality to this, which is, you know, some people can barely find 20 minutes to, to write every day. But if you can, then you're a writer, then you're writing. And I think that whole imposter syndrome thing is not only common, it's essential. Uh, but rather than call it imposter syndrome, I think it's just uh, an awareness that you, you're always learning. Uh, funnily enough, this came up on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. We we spoke to an author called Elise Valmorbida, who's written a book about writing, and um, yeah, and, and she she talks. She was talking about the four stages of competence, and the third one is conscious competence, where you're always learning. And I think that's the best place to be. And it's something. It's one of the best things to come out of the podcast for me because over the last five years, that has been my education: sitting down and talking to authors every week, listening to our listeners sharing their stories their successes the ups and downs that's been an incredible education and I know I've not only written more in the f last five years than I've ever done before I think I've improved as a writer more in the last five years because 
it just keeps my hand in the game. I this is this is all I think about now. This is all that I do, tragically. <laughs> you know, so it's um and I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, you know, for me what I'm doing now is success. I think I've always wanted to just write for a living. Uh, luckily, I was made redundant from work a couple of years ago, which was quite handy because um, it, it gave me that big sort of turning point in the road where you think, well, I have to do it now. I haven't really got any excuses. You know, it's um, shit or bust. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the podcast has been my education in short. And, and just on that, on that note, have you got any hot tips for people wanting to start podcasts? You know, how did you go from... Don't. Two friends. <laughs> no, is that a no? A definite no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh God. Um, uh, podcast. Well, it is. It is a massive time suck. A massive, massive time suck. And oh, crikey! You have to love it. You have to really love it. You have to love talking to people and booking people and doing bits of research. And you know, uh, we've. We're lucky and that we've got a good enough Patreon following to only just keep our head above water and paying our editors whose fees keep going up. Um, and, uh, you know, so uh, you really have to love it. And I do. I mean, I, do, I love the format and I love um, the long form of it, the way that we can just sit and chat like this rather than going on local radio where you're lucky to get, you know, eight minutes or whatever. Uh, that I, I really enjoy, but um, it takes up a lot of time, an awful lot of time. So be prepared for that. It's quite expensive. And we are seeing a tipping point where there's so many bloody celebrity podcasts now. So it's really difficult to get noticed. I mean, it was difficult when we started five years ago, but they're, um, you know, the, the BBC of all these big celebrity ones and all the independent sort of podcast producers are getting celebrities in so it's um it is tough to get noticed but you will find i think if you have a well-defined niche and for us it's writers you know aspiring writers um then uh then i think you will find them there'll be a limit it's not like you're going to become you know super mega famous overnight or anything like that but we've got this lovely loyal following because i see the stats every week and it is you know it's um it's a, it's a really nice loyal following that's growing incrementally as people it's genuine word of mouth kind of thing so um yeah it's it, well it's it's like any kind of media as ian was saying you know he gave up on the sketch writing if he hadn't given up and this is one of the things we've learned on the podcast which is giving up is the 100% definite way of failing is you know but if you stick in and you persevere and like with writing it's taken me 21 years to get where i am now um you know you the your odds of succeeding increase massively so um yeah i mean we did we recorded our first three episodes and launched with three episodes with no idea if anyone would listen and then we started getting emails listener questions and stuff like that we thought okay people are listening to this then we had that that episode with brian cranston where he was the one who he that was the one where he said if trump gets in i'm moving to canada and that went viral that went everywhere and it we got you know we got hate mail from you know crazed republicans and right-wingers and stuff like that and they crashed our website a bunch of times but that did help us so if you can get brian cranston on to say something controversial that's a top top tip from me so he said could, could one of you perhaps say something extremely controversial Oh, Boris Johnson could do better at his job. Oh. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Like it. You heard it here first. It's the cutting edge. How 
English British are we with that one? Yeah. What about you, Ian? Anything controversial from you? I don't. If I start, I, I won't stop. <laughs> I think I would be ill-advised to even start. Fine. Okay, that's okay. acceptable. All right. Fair enough. We are we are standing by our nationalities on this one. By the sounds. <laughs> So, so can I go then onto the the question of independent versus traditional publishing? I I take issue with the verses. I take big issue with the verses because there is no verses. There is no divide. This is the big thing we've learned on the podcast. People will try and create one, and it's usually people who've had a bad experience with a traditional publisher and go and be independent and be hugely successful and think that's the only way to do it. Frankly, the future is hybrid. We're all going to be indie. We're all going to be trad. Well, maybe not all of us trad published, but I think you're going to see a lot of authors in the traditional world get the rights back to their books and self-publish, which I'm seeing more and more. You're going to see a lot more independent authors get a tap on the shoulder from publishers, the successful ones, going, do you want to come and do a few books for us in a different, you know, and they, you know, most of them will give it a go. You know, Cueve did it. You know, Cueve McDonald, hugely successful as an indie, and then he's done Stranger Times and, and this new series with Transworld. And it's two very different experiences, but I don't think I, I really take issue with the verses because it's hard enough as it bloody well is being an author without having people pit ourselves against each other. So I don't think there it's it's not an either or. It's not you have to do this or this and never the twain shall meet. The future is completely hybrid. We'll all be doing a bit of both. Controversially, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> This is hardly question time, is it? <laughs> That's a very good point you made, Mr. Stay, and I concur. Mm. What What do you wish you'd known about self-publishing? You know, in, in your in your first that you know now. So, if someone one of someone listening was about to to embark on this self-publishing journey, you know, between you, could you come up with three must-know tips for for those listeners and in terms of how to how to do that? I think, again, it comes back to how you define success. And if you want to earn a living from this, then uh, there are certain tips. I mean, I think the big opportunity with self-publishing is anyone can do it. And publishing is very white. It's very middle class. It's full of nice middle class ladies called Joe and Hillary, you know, and uh, it's it can be very intimidating if you're not that kind of person. There are changes and you know, it's um, it's not going to happen overnight. It is vaguely heading in the right direction. But frankly, if you come from a different, diverse background, there's a huge opportunity to get your voice out there and get it heard. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make a ton of money, but it means that you can get your words on on a page and get them out there in paperback and audio and ebook or whatever format you want. And that, for me, is the huge opportunity. If you want to earn a living, a lot has changed over the last few years. The, the first big successes out there you know the the people who are selling millions of copies now um that was at a time when frankly it had to work kindle had to make it work this was a big experiment and wind was put in their sails you know there were far fewer authors out there and some of these authors were put front and center and then they you know they they had good marketing good advertising very clever strategies but if you try a lot of those same strategies today you might as well sit at home and burn a five pound note every day i was talking to a friend yesterday who runs um, a lit rpg publisher and he's self-published 
and his book which was published last week sold 2000 copies in the first week it's done really really well but he said the the old way of adver- this this idea that you just spend five dollars a day on advertising it doesn't work he you know that amazon are now offering packages i think amg i think it's called or agm some amazon marketing group or you know there you have to spend tens of thousands of pounds on advertising to sort of you know reach the same kind of levels that those early pioneers did so it is democratic in that your voice can get out there um but then you know we spoke Ian introduced me to philip quaintrell who doesn't spend any money on advertising uh, he just hires the same cover artist as that brandon sanderson uses for his fantasy novels and sells like a thousand copies a day of his book so uh you know it's it's everyone's still learning everyone's still experimenting i think but in terms of tips i think the thing we've learned is write a series stick to a genre stick to a clearly identifiable genre don't start spending any serious money until you're about three books in i'll just say with i mean i agree completely with all of that i still think maybe it's just because i'm an optimist if you write something that's really good and the phil crane trail things are really good example because yes he has got that cover designer but he was already doing really well before that that was just a brilliant decision on his part um what his niche is what is is epic fantasy so his every one of his books is two and a half of mine i mean they're 180,000 word epics um so they're absolutely huge and his series it's nine book series and he he knew it was going to be nine books and it's sort of three sets of three but it's, they're huge books, so it's uh, Kindle Unlimited, you know, where you get paid per page read. It's a huge part of his income because um, if someone is into epic fantasy, they're going to read every page of that book, and that's going to pay more than... He sells them very cheaply. The e-books are very cheap. So someone reading them on Kindle Unlimited and paying their 10 quid a month or whatever it is, is going to bring in more money for him because he's written nine books which I mean, I, I wonder what the calculation. I'm sure he's done that calculation. I should ask him how much he gets paid if someone reads from page one of book one to the last page of book nine. How much money that actually generates in profit for him? But I imagine it's reasonably significant because that's a, an awful lot of pages. So hungry market, big readers, and he wrote the stuff that they love. There's dwarves, there's dragons, there's swords, there's assassins, there's magic. There's uh, maps. There are maps. Yeah, I mean, that's what more do you need in epic fantasy? Maybe I should put more maps in my books. I think I might. Maps are good, apparently. (laughs) Just stick an ordnance survey in the back of the book. That's good on Audible, though. (laughs) Yeah. Because some people are now... um, Mark, you interviewed um, Sarah Sarah Denzel, who's releasing exclusively on an audio, on Audible, on an audio platform, before the Mm. actual book itself so is that do you think that's a trend that's coming up or do you think there are yeah. particular books? audio audio is still i think the fastest growing uh sector of the market although it's still a relatively small sector of the market but it is still growing and more and more particularly in lockdown as well people got into the habit of listening to audio books and audible are always looking for great you know material that they can get exclusively so i think her first book the paperback had done well, but the aud- they they gave the audio. You know, I think they you know put it front and center, and it did amazingly well. So they said to her, "Why don't you do another, and we'll have it on audio first, and then you can do the paperback a few months later or whatever." So, I think that is um, that that is becoming increasingly common. Or there's material exclusively 
for Audible. I'm, listen, I'm listening to Seth Rogen's audiobook at the moment, and I think that is exclusive to audio. And he's written it with audio in mind. You know, he's got actors doing voices and stuff like that. So it, you're seeing a blur between, you know, that traditional just words on the page and then people doing something a bit more interesting with, with audio. But And it's, it's interesting because I think Back to Reality, our book does better in audio than any other format. Because you have that subscription model on Audible where people have got a credit to use up and they're like, well, okay, I'll give that a go. It doesn't, you know, they don't feel like it costs them anything in the way that you might sit there umming and ahhing over two ninety nine for an ebook. You know, it's just this weird mentality that we have, you know. Whereas, you know, I'll happily, well, I, have, I don't have any choice to pay. When I go to Canterbury up the road here, it costs three quid to park for an hour. And yet you look at two ninety nine for a book and you think, oh, shall I get that? I know, it's weird, yeah. isn't it? It's p Yeah, so it's just yeah. weird mentality that we just undervalue books that, that mm. way. That's a whole other hour we could do on that. <laughs> I, I, I'd long bang that, that drum that the uh, you, you go into a supermarket and it's, you know, or even the two-for-one things at Waterstones. I bang the drum that we spend more money on the coffee than we do on the actual book. It makes me very angry, so I'll stop having a rant now. And I'm going to ask a question. We're going to, in a minute, I'm going to ask you about what's up next on the horizon for you both. But I want to ask, because I think I heard this on one of the podcasts as well from the bestseller, uh, on the loo, in the loo. I was going to ask that, Dave. Yeah, we want to know about... <laughs> what's in your loo? Yes. <laughs> Not the actual... Oh. Well, this was this was another of our pathetic attempts to go viral, where um, we, we we latched onto something where we thought because we me and Mister D we have books in the toilet and you know we if we sit down for any period of time we'll pick up a book and and obviously we I've got quite a considerable library in there now uh, and we said to people you know what do you read on the loo and it turns out to be quite contentious there are some people I, I, a friend of mine who works for the nhs said do you have any idea how many filthy filthy bacteria are going to be on your book i said well look, i close the lid when i flush you know and i wash my hands if there's anything we've learned over the last two years is wash your hands so um yeah it's, I, I don't see what the problem is but um yeah the, the it's divided the nation yes <laughs> it has um, ian do you have anything in your loop I tend to have a book that stays in there that, um, but I, I then whatever book I'm reading, I'll, I'll, I'll take in with me anyway. So at the moment I'm very, very slowly making my way through Sapiens as my, is the book in the loo, which is, which is great if a bit depressing. Um, so that is getting read, but I'd say that it's much more likely that I'm currently reworking my way through all of Ian M. Banks sci-fi stuff, all the culture novels. So It'll be the next one of those because he's he's like Stephen King for me in the sense of once I'm into an Ian Banks story, that just all bets are off. Forget it. Uh, I'm I'm not going to pick anything else up. So they'll just come in and out the loo with me. So it's uh, a player of games at the moment. That'll be. Uh, uh, what's in my loo is a spirit level and um, <laughs> some some sealant. I've got to seal the shower when I get back. What's normally in your loo? Oh dear. What's normally in my loo? Nothing actually. I, I don't have books in the loo. I'm afraid. I'm. I'm. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a good thing, bad thing. I'm. I'm, I'm staying entirely on the fence. I just don't ha- tend to have anything in the loo. I like to read in more comfortable surroundings. No. What about you, Letty? I. I like. To, I have poetry because I. I find it very difficult to sit down and read poetry. Um, I. I. 
I want, you know, I want a story. And I know that that's lots of people listening will just be like, she's, she's obviously too thick for poetry, but, um, which is probably true, but I just like those bite size, you know, you can, it's one page, you kind of immerse yourself in Mm. one thought or this little miniature world. It's a bit like short stories. I also like short story collections or flash fiction. Yes, and that's a really good call on poetry. I like that. And I just, just, just before I forget, Ted Chang, if, if, if anyone out there, including and all of us here, if you haven't read any Ted Chang short stories, then, then we, all, we all must read them. Uh, particularly, the, there's two collections, so it's not much. The second one is called Exhalation. That's the one I'm just finishing at the moment. Just fantastic stuff. Okay. We, we will get to what you're doing, what's on the horizon in a second. But now, as you've just mentioned various writers we do like to ask our guests a particular question which is if you had only what uh, three three authors or three writers of, of some nature that you can read for the rest of your days and they can be uh, dead authors or still producing authors etc but you can only read those three nothing else who would you keep well uh, for me it's terry terry pratchett because uh, I could happily... Uh, they. Uh, it's funny, I hadn't read any Terry since he died. Uh, and then during lockdown, I read a couple, and they were just... I was just reminded, A, they're great comfort reads, um, and B, bloody hell, he was good. He was really, really good. Um, so, yeah, Terry I could read forever and a day. Um, I really like the way you call him Terry. Yeah. It's so... It's, it's like... <laughs> Oh, well, it, that comes from because I work for one of his publishers, so you do you do end up uh, becoming familiar with them in a way that um, I mean I only met him a couple of times, but you you develop little shorthand when you go. Have we got that reprint of that new Terry in yet? Yeah, you know, it's just one of those just one of those wanky publishing things. Um, so Terry, I could read forever and a day. Actually. Ian's reminded me that I, I read, weirdly, I read all of Ian Banks's, uh contemporary stuff, but only read Consider Flabus, and I never went back. So I could, I, I need to read those, actually. Um, You've got a treat in store. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, we, when I was events manager at Waterstones in Epsom, he did an event for us around about the time that Crow Road was on the TV. And he was just a nice, he was hilarious, absolutely brilliant. Could have been a stand-up comedian. Really knew how to, you know, keep an audience engaged. and was really funny and a genuinely nice bloke. Mm. So uh, I do need, he's on my to-read list. And I suspect, gosh, uh, P.G. Woodhouse as well is someone I could just read and read and read and read and read. Um but then, oh gosh, I could also read because I've got I've got the big Ursula Le Guin Earthsea thing, which I could read from the beginning as well. <laughs> Ian, well, there's of course there's going to be a huge crossover here, as you know. Um, I think I mean it's just impossible. So this is I would change my mind tomorrow. But uh, Ian Banks, because you get the contemporary stuff and the science fiction, so that's uh, and it's all great quality. And some of his sort of contemporary stuff, like the the bridge. Uh, is like no other book it's kind of fantasy and um well it's just a it's a gem you know it's just so i think i could read and reread his stuff definitely and and you've already said it but ursula k Le Guin definitely uh i've always enjoyed her things and uh earthsea is one of my biggest influences one of those books i've read and read and i've got the same hardback galance edition that you've got mark which is lovely it's got it's a book that's got its own ribbon to mark your place you know it's and it's a book it's so big you have to 
actually decide I'm going to read now. So you have to go find a, a seat and a lamp and, and sit down on the, on the toilet. Lap. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or the toilet. Yeah. Not a loo book. You'd Not never really, because yeah, you'd be weighed down by it, and yeah, yeah, you'd be found weeks later, sort of desiccated corpse with this massive book pinning you onto the toilet. Um, and the third one, I think Graham Green probably for me, just because the power and the glory, the end of the affair. And oh, what's the, oh, the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter was one of those books I almost wanted to throw across the room at, at points because it just is like someone just just pushing a, a knife into your heart. So, gentlemen, before we move on to the the, the prompts, what is on the horizon for both of you? Um, I've got a film coming out, a new film uh, called Unwelcome. Uh, from Warner Brothers. It's a proper studio film, which is um, really, really kind of freaky. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a story of a couple who have a terrible experience in London. Um, uh, they, they have like a home invasion. But then through a bit of luck, they get they inherit a house in uh, the countryside uh, in Western rural Ireland. And at the bottom of the garden is a wall and in the wall is a door. And next to the door is a little hole where you leave an offering for the red caps the far darig these kind of little goblins and they're like really and it's like no no you have to do this every day otherwise terrible things will happen and guess what terrible things happen uh and it's it's great fun it's we we pitched it originally as uh, straw dogs meets gremlins because there's a big house invasion home invasion element to it and we've got an amazing cast so we've got hannah john carmen uh who's going to be the next red sonia and she's in the resident evil movie and uh marvel fans will know her from um ant-man 2 uh we've got uh, douglas booth who's just the loveliest loveliest guy We've got a, a Derry girl and a young offender. So we've got Jamie Lee O'Donnell and Chris Wally in there as well. And they're just fantastic. Big Star Trek fan here. We've got Cole Meany. So we've got Chief O'Brien in there, which is great. I got to chat to him. Uh, we've got Neve Cusack, uh, who's just amazing. Neve Cusack is the Alec Guinness of this film. If you need anyone to talk absolute gibberish about leprechauns and make it sound like, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, canon or whatever get Neve Cusack she's bloody brilliant at it um, and yeah it's just a, it's just a whole bunch of fun with goblins well Dave and I were lucky enough to watch the trailer and well I mean I, I said earlier I, you know, I basically shot myself the whole way through <laughs> Well, I don't think it's... I mean, to be fair, it's not that scary. Um, it's, uh, But it is fun, I think. It's, um, it's. I mean, it gets a bit bloody towards the end. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's. I'm really proud of it. And then I've got the... Um, by the time this comes out, the second Witches of Woodville book will be out, Babes in the Wood, and I'm just polishing uh, first draft of the third book, which will be out in May. So, uh, yeah, lots going on. Fantastic. And you've got something to do with chocolate in the book, I, I spotted. <laughs> well, I do. Uh, again, by the time this goes out, it'll probably be too late, but I might do more of these. But I do a thing where, because uh, it's set, um, the Witches of Woodville book are set in a, a fictional English village in Kent uh, during the First World War, 1940. So there's rationing. So I do a little thing where I do a, a chocolate ration giveaway. So, uh, you know, if you sign up to the newsletter or whatever, you're in with a chance to win a signed book, which no one cares about, and a bar of chocolate. And people go, oh, signed book, you go, chocolate. They go, what? Oh, where do I sign up? So uh, that's been my secret weapon uh, for both these books. So uh, it's good chocolate. It's, it's by a company called uh, Chocs for Chocoholics. Now, when we had kids, uh, we still have kids, but when they were little, sorry, we haven't given them away. 
not yet. Um, when the kids were very young, uh, my wife used to do chocolate parties, like Tupperware parties, and she did these chocoholics ones. And uh, they do they have a whole thing. So if you're an author thinking, how do I promote my book? Get some chocolates in. They can put your book on the cover and everything, and it's it's relatively cheap. So yeah, it's good value for money. I've already written that one down. <laughs> Ian, what about you? Uh, I can vouch for that chocolate I had from the first book. I'm I'm yet to get my bar of chocolate from the second one, but I'm I assume the postman's going to knock any time now. Yeah, we're all uh, waiting with it. It's very good, and I'm just going to correct Mark on his own book. You said World War One, then it's World War Two. Did I? Oh, World War Two. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Blimey. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Thank you. What would I do with that? I know. What would I do? I know. <laughs> and they're they're great books. So uh, still still with Mark, but the I've read the second one as well, and I loved it. So. Um, it's definitely one to look forward to. See, uh, we read we read each other's books. This is this is the thing. Find yourself if you're an author, find yourself you know a, a beta reader. So, you know, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. Kind of situation where you read each other's books and you learn so much from reading someone else's work. Um, it was always something that certainly when I started out in the podcast, I always thought it was a bit. Oh God, I have to read someone else's book. Um, but actually, you learn so much from it. You recognise greatness when you see it, as I do whenever I read Ian's um, uh, masterpieces. And then, uh, uh, but then you know, just through it, you just it helps tune that editor mentality. And when you're reading someone else's book and thinking, okay, this could be tighter. I'm confused here. Why doesn't that make sense? Kind of thing. Um, it helps tune your own brain when you come to edit your own work as well. Anyway, sorry, Ian. So next for me is uh, the very short version, and I've sort of alluded to it earlier. It's just I had these three novellas uh, when I thought uh, the next big thing would be short books for for people on the loo. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. Or people reading on their phones on trains, and Amazon have been trying to do something about this for a while. They've been experimenting with short form and trying to really push shorter books of course people can write short books faster so you can maybe have a subscription model which is what they're trying now or there's various things they've tried and at one stage they were they had dean Koontz books out uh, in 99p installments of six installments of a story and i thought i'll do that but it ended up being two installments per novella for me and three novellas and it didn't work that's a like say long story short uh, readers didn't go for it uh, they great reviews on the stories but they just didn't like the short form idea they I think they wanted to read it as a novel so so I had a rethink and at the same time as I was having a rethink was when I'd written another full-length novel with the same character and started on the third and that's when I talked to these potential publishers and so now it will be going out with a uh, fuse books and by the time this podcast goes out they'll be there uh, so it's and i also renamed the main character there's a few changes were made so the main character um who is a sort of jekyll and hyde meets jack reacher type um there's a he's got there's a lovely side to him and there's a not very nice side to him uh, but the side that nut side you sort of get behind and think yes bash his brains out when he gets going that's the it's always the bad guys who who get it and they are particularly bad guys uh so it's now three full-length novels and it's uh called the the jimmy blue series so jimmy blue is the the violent side of his character and uh there are three three books one the first one's called winter falls the second one's called run hide die and the third one's called a violent life uh and i'm writing book i'm sixty-five thousand words into book four and i've just realized today that this is going to be a longer one it's going to be over 100 things which for me is quite long i've just 
I'm into part two now. So there are three books, new new books. One is the three novellas re, repackaged, renamed, and slightly rewritten. But then books two and three are completely new novels, and they are they'll be out now when when this podcast goes out. And they are so much fun. They are so much fun. They are, you know, breakneck speed. And yeah, the ter- terrible things happen to really terrible people, which is very, very cathartic. So mm. if that's your bag, you'll love it. Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Where did you two meet? Can I just ask? Uh, it's via the podcast, wasn't it? Yes. I think. Yeah. Um, mm. I think it was just through. I discovered the podcast and. I think I just started supporting it on Patreon. Um, oh, bless your governor. Yeah, and then um, I joined the Facebook group and a few comments on there. And uh, I think the first time we actually met was, was the first time we met just before the Storyteller Award? Actually met in person. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'd was. spoken, yeah. but so there you well, go. So we haven't known Podcasts have a lot to answer for. Yeah. yeah. Right then, folks, are you ready for some prompts? Not really. We're going to start, as always, with the uh, scene prompt the prompt that our guests and and in this case letty has seen already uh for which they get uh the prompt this time out was and and unlike other uh, episodes where i was thoroughly unprofessional and forgotten what the prompt was this time i can remember it and it is the tear in her dress and on top of that letty i can remember where i got it from which was the writer's toolkit which we've used on numerous occasions during the the, the course of this just once this actually, series. Dave. okay it's twice now so, um, mm. I, I, yeah, you could tell that Letty is the one that do, does all the detail and I just flounce around at the edges. So, um, on that basis, I'm going to make you go first then, Letty. Oh, thanks. With, the, with your 200 words to the prompt, the tear in her dress. Far away. Well, I actually, I'm not going to read both of them, but I actually did two responses because, first of all, I read it as the tear in her dress. Oh, it might be. And then I thought, well, it can't. It can't be that. Um, but I did write both versions, but I'm going to do the tear. Go on then. I'm going to leave the title until the end, I think, because I, I want to know if it gives it away or not. Anyway, Read. okay. Sorry. It started on Tuesday. A light itch, just between her shoulder blades and down a bit. Impossible to reach. She bought a back scratcher. It was metal and extended like a radio aerial, and on the end was a silver hand, clawed, so it could get right in there. But the itching didn't stop. She took antihistamine, applied Savlon, and then a steroid cream she found at the back of the bathroom cabinet. It was out of date, but only just. By Wednesday, there was a lump the size of a kumquat. She went to the doctor, who didn't like the look of it, but poked and prodded all the same because that was his job. A week later, the lump was twice the size and triangular, sharp-edged but skin-clad, like a fleshy sail. She developed a raging thirst she could not quench. At night, she dreamt of the sea, the muscular fin on her back carving the ocean, splitting waves. They found her dress by the lake, hanging from a tree, a large tear down the back, gaping like a scream. I was going to call it Finish. <laughs> no? Oh, I love that. That was great. I love yeah. that. That's brilliant. I call it Finish? Yeah, call it Finish. Okay. Call it Finish. Yeah. I, I must admit, all the way through there, the dyslexic in me was thinking, have I got this really, really wrong? And no. it was the tear in her dress. 
and sort of the tear in her dress. No, and it was so, me that got it wrong, Dave. Why would okay. there be a tear in her dress? Yeah, but I'm dyslexic and therefore I'm now thinking, I've actually written down tear and tear, how I think you spell it, and I'm staring at it and I, I've become very, very confused. So it, the, the prompt could be the tear in her dress or the tear in her dress, I don't know. It could be either. Yes, but that was magnificent. I love that. Thank I love you, that. thank Your you, Your usual dear. stunning stuff, but that's all I'm going to say because... You, you, tell me, me. you tell me off too much. Right. Oh. Gentlemen, out of you two, who's going to go first? Oh, Mark's made a movement with his face. He's going first. <laughs> uh, right. Well, mine has something in, in common with Letty's as well. So, uh, And I've just called it the tear in her dress. Luna wasn't going to the school prom. Mum and Dad wouldn't allow it. They'd gone all funny after she got her first period this week. She thought they'd be happy. She was the last in her year to get it, but it triggered whispered conversations behind closed doors. Luna bought a dress for the prom. It had a dinosaur pattern and practical pockets. She loved it and she was going. She clambered out of her bedroom window while mum and dad argued downstairs. Prom was a disaster. They laughed at her dress with the dinosaurs in the pockets. They laughed at her glasses and braces. But that wasn't the worst of it. Stephanie Lee was the first to notice the tear in Luna's dress. It happened as the clouds parted, revealing a full moon through the school hall windows. They stopped laughing after that. They screamed instead. Screamed as Luna grew a snout. Screamed as her braces pinged off her fangs, screamed as she bit down on Stephanie Lee's throat, screamed as she feasted on their intestines. Mum and Dad arrived soon after, both lycanthropes. They consoled their pup, then went hunting rabbits and worrying sheep. Luna had a ball. Cracking. Wow. Wow. Like I say, it came to me at 4am, that did. Uh, it almost fully formed. It was so strange. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I say, shivers, shivers. I wondered where that was going at first, but that was magnificent. I loved it. Yeah, I like the, I like the way that we just only want to write about people that turn into stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. that was when, when, I, when, I, when I got the prompt, I did the tear, okay, tear, and I've thought, I went straight to, you know, werewolf movies, American Wolf in London, where you get, you know, the, the back stretching and everything. So that's that's just where that came from. I, I went straight to um, sort of crime thriller, you know, like they'd found a tear of something on a piece of barbed wire and it was going to be about a murder or... So I thought, oh, well, I, I, we had a guest on called Nick Perring who always says when you get a prompt or there's a competition with a certain theme, think of all the, the first things and then chuck them out and then yeah, go with something yeah. else. So I thought I was being original, and you've, you've completely destroyed that, actually, Mark. So thank you for that. No, I mean, I, I do the same thing, which is, you know, I, what's the obvious idea? Okay, how do I subvert that? Yeah. Um, and will it still work? Will it still stand up? So, yeah, and that's always a good instinct, I think. Yeah. Ian, so is, uh, well, I don't want to ask any question. Let's just hear it. I wish I'd gone first now. <laughs> <laughs> you can go first okay. next time. How can you follow that? Oh, great! When it's when we haven't got a chance to have a look at it in advance. Oh God. Uh, okay. Well, they were both great. Bugger. Um, okay. Well, this is also just I uh, just used the uh, prompts as a title, and um, <clears throat> you'll have to excuse the fact that it's more like 
it's slightly over, not too much. You know, I've cut it from four thousand words to this, so uh, <laughs> I'm joking. It's it's that's right. But uh, <clears throat> okay, not so much a tear as a cut, two inches above the hem, vertical, almost invisible. Agnes noticed it Monday morning by the coffee machine when Julia reached up for a fresh filter. Almost said something, but Agnes didn't really know anyone at the office yet. Better to keep quiet and blend in. Let someone else alert Julia to the problem. No one did. On Tuesday, Julia swapped the dress for a trouser suit, so that was that. Or it would have been if not for the cut in Julia's right trouser leg, higher than the first and nearer the outer thigh. Agnes stared at it during Julia's presentation on wheat futures. On Wednesday, Julia wore a skirt and kept to her office. There were murmurs of problems. Agnes fabricated an IT problem to stay late. When Julia emerged and made straight for the lifts, Agnes stood up. Julia stumbled. Please, no. Uh, oh, Agnes, I thought everyone had left. In the lift, Agnes couldn't detect a tear in her boss's outfit, but as they stepped out, she found it. Another vertical slit, this time in the blouse between her shoulder blades. On Thursday, the cut was in her collar. On Friday, Julia didn't come in. A memo announced her sudden death and recommended a bereavement counsellor. During Susan's second month as Julia's replacement, sales figures slipped. Monday morning, there was a cut in Susan's dress. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Magnificent. Wow. Oh, I'm no, so glad great. I haven't written anything to that after write today. <laughs> Right, brilliant. So let's go. Let's let's really do the the fun one now. Oh where God! You, we, I'm going to give you a prompt any second now, and you've got three minutes, and it'll be timed at my end, so to speak. Um, oh, and you guys write whatever comes to mind off the off that prompt, and then at the end of the three minutes, we have a quick read through together as well. So as we do this to make sure everybody thinks that it, it is, uh, everybody thinks because it is, it is uh, completely. Uh, random and we don't tell anybody in advance I have three different prompts here and as usual I'm going to turn to Peter our producer and say one two or three Peter one. and you can blame him for this one therefore and, and also you can blame Mark as well because this and the next prompt is uh, came to me on the back of a recent bestseller podcast where you all talked about the importance of smells and the fact that oh, Mark you admitted that you didn't put enough smells in your work. Oh, God. So um, I apologise for that, but that's, you know, I listened to other podcasts and therefore it's your fault and Peter's fault. I feel at, ambushed. At the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so the prompt is going to is, is, and if anybody listening at home, then please, this is where you, uh, as soon as you get the prompt, you press pause, set a timer for three minutes and play along, no cheating, and then at the end of the three minutes started up and ideally send us your, what you're, you've written so we can uh, read it out in a later show. But the prompt, everybody, is the smell of your grandmother's laundry room. The smell of your grandmother's laundry room. And you have three minutes starting now. And stop. How's everybody feeling? 
fuck. Sorry. I was, uh, <clears throat> just deleting a word. It wasn't, wasn't typing. Backspace. <laughs> how are you all? How, how does that feel? Not good, Dave. Not good. Oh, I've never had to do that. It's my very odd. Palp- I've got palpitations. Yeah. My heart's... Bum, 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 yeah, bum, bum. My, yeah, my, my palms pop, are my pulse is good. <laughs> I feel sorry for the people in later episodes because... Over the course of the series, I think Letty and I are now sort of challenging almost each other with the the, the, the prompts. Is that what you're doing? Well, last time last time <laughs> out, it, your your prompts were horrific. I thought they were nice. Oh, they were awful, and they were so 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 hard. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, and therefore I think I feel almost like to, I need to apologise to the guests on the grounds I'm actually trying to get my revenge well, on, look, <laughs> on 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 Letty. By, by, why don't we stop doing that game? I then? think it's probably a good idea yeah. to stop doing that one. Yeah. So too late for us. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. Sorry about that. So, Ian, you said you wanted to go first last time, so that, you can don't go think first that's exactly time. what I said. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, over right, to you. Three minutes. God, that goes fast, doesn't it? Uh, right, the smell of your grandmother's laundry room. Uh, it shouldn't smell this way, but it does. Ben hesitates in the doorway, nose wrinkling, expecting lavender and disinfectant, instead getting a heady brew that manages to be sickly sweet and foul simultaneously. He moves a tea towel and finds a severed head. His mother walks in behind him and sighs. Oh, mum, not again. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is brilliant. Love it. Love it. (laughs) What uh, you can't Didn't worry about coming. yourself Brilliant. when that's the first thing that comes into your head under pressure. <laughs> yeah, it says a lot, isn't it? It's that whole thing of don't look at a writer's um, uh, search history on the internet. As well, <laughs> the first thing that comes to your mind is 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 severed head in a laundry basket. I, I adore it. I adore it. Brilliant. Okay, can, can we'll I... do everything in reverse order. Mark, next. Yeah. Well. You'll notice an uncanny similarity here. So Ian and I clearly had the same warped childhood. So, uh, and also, uh, we did. I we didn't have a laundry room. We were working class. We had an airing cupboard. So, uh, so just to put that in context, Nan would ne- and I hand wrote this and you typed, didn't you, Ian? I so did. That's, yeah. So just you know, for people taking notes, um, Nan would never let us in the, her airing cupboard. Keep your nose out, she would bark in her voice, two part Rothmans, one part stout. Fat chance, I thought. Unlike most airing cupboards, which smelled of cotton or lily of the valley, whatever that is, this smelled of death. There was no mistaking the stench of rotting flesh and stale blood. Of course, I had to look. I waited till she fell asleep in front of the racing from Kempton Park. Creeping to the airing cupboard door, I gently opened it, the ghastly waft washing over me. And there was Grandad's skull. Clear off, he said. <laughs> that's so again. It's so fully formed and, uh, and that's brilliant as well. Yeah, that's uh... so weird. Yeah, I do it. I absolutely do it. I can already, I can already picture grandmother, uh, unfortunately, sort of sat away in one corner, yeah, <laughs> telling me off. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must be. I, I bet if we dig into this, Ian, we both saw the same episode of Tales of the Unexpected or something with a head in an airing oh. cupboard or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Oh, Letty, come on. What's in your <laughs> airing cupboard or laundry? I've. Room? It's just. Well, I'm just going to read it. I mean, it's yeah. Kippers. Everything reeks of kippers. Deep. Smoky. 
which is peculiar since Granny's allergic to fish and we live nowhere near the sea. It's problematic, I'd say. It doesn't matter how often I wash, the smell keeps coming back. It infiltrates everything like a disease. They shout things at me on the bus. Fish head, gill girl. It doesn't help that my name's Fanny. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Embarrassing, isn't it? Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, it is one of my favourite parts. I mean, it, I love doing the show, and I love, it, yeah. but but get, seeing people's reactions to the prompts and the directions, all these minds that go in and and where they lead you. It, it's one of the. It's a. It's something I look forward to every time we do this. So, so thank you, folks. That's absolutely marvellous. Are you ready for the next one? Not really, Dave. Because this one is one minute. So again, oh, if you're God. playing along at home, once you hear the the the, 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 the prompt, just just. I, it, I wish you could see Ian's yeah, face. Pe- people, I'm afraid, it would be nice to do this, you know, and film this at the same time because people's faces are are a joy when we go through this. If you're playing along at home, get the prompt, stop the podcast, and then time yourself for a minute, and then come back to us, but no cheating because because uh, these the, our guests, our wonderful guests, don't get the chance to cheat. They, honestly, they have to do this in. A minute. Have I stressed the, the the minute enough, guys? You know, just, <laughs> just to add to the, well, the phrase. I mean, when 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 the last one we did, there seemed to be between you saying a minute left and finishing, there was actually it was actually only ten seconds, wasn't it? No, it was a minute. <laughs> it was a minute. It's weird because you sit when I like when I have to write, you sit there and you think three minutes is gone is gone in a flash. But when you actually sat here timing it, you're thinking, oh come on, yeah. this is taking forever. <laughs> And, and and it's the same. So here we go with one minute. The again, smells is the theme, and so, or it no. could be, might not be. It could be anything you want. I don't want to put ideas in your head. It's a single word prompt this time, and the word is rose. Are you ready? Go. And stop. Utter crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. We have had some, we've had some stunners to the one minute round. We've also had some, um, uh, I'm not saying anything else. Right. Um, oh, Mark, your turn to go first because you've not gone first so far. Just get it out of the way, basically. I think it's, yeah. This you, is, I will say, this is based on a true story because it's just the first thing I thought of when I heard the word rose. I've got emphysema, said Rose, our new neighbour, as we unpacked the boxes from the removals van. She didn't volunteer to help. That's it. That's as far as I got. <laughs> I actually scrubbed out two whole sentences as well. Just got, I thought, oh, I know, I'll be clever. I'll base it on something that actually happened. And I thought, no, halfway through, I thought, this is actually going nowhere. So... Yeah, sorry. Apologies no, to this. I thought I was... You'll never get that 20 seconds back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like that. That was a character in there. That was immediate. Brilliant. Oh, we all got neighbours like that. She's a character. <laughs> <laughs> Summed it up perfectly. Um, Ian, do you want to go next? Uh, okay. Um, well, Mark then just got us all set up for something shit, and it was really good. So that's yeah. very good. <laughs> It's like um, those people that say they haven't revised for exams. Yeah. Yes. And then they get 97%. <laughs> yeah. 
Or they say, oh, it's just a little something. We go around for dinner. It's just a, a little something I whipped up. And you go, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, enjoy both of these sentences. Rose bought six figurines at the auction, lined them up on the mantelpiece, and went to bed. Next morning, there were only five, and the cat was missing. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It's weird we've both gone for a character called Rose. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. I mean, it, it, it and I think it does show there's probably not enough smells in your work. Yes. <laughs> Attention to the smells yeah. idea. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no question. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Letty? <sighs> Granny choked to death on a rose-scented chocolate, so I hid her head inside a kipper and that was the end of it. <laughs> the latest addition to the decapitation kipper universe well i yes. wanted to get in the club <laughs> i was i was sad not to be in the severed head club so um the fanny chronicles it's a series you think, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on your way yeah. yeah the fanny shared universe <laughs> great a serial perfect absolutely stunning stunning all round and I loved it absolutely loved it so that's that's really everything gentlemen that we are we are done uh in terms of the podcast i need podcast. to lie down sorry yeah. i need to lie down i know yeah i know i need to lie down this is terrifying it this is fantastic is really i love it i love it and oh. and the responses are stunning absolutely stunning um gentlemen thank you so much for being on the show uh we wish you every success with your next endeavors where can we find you online and in every form that you would like us to find you okay well the bestseller experiment is at bestsellerexperiment.com and you can find us on twitter at bestseller xp and on instagram at bestseller xp facebook is the bestseller experiment and you can find me i'm at markstaywrites.com uh, i'm at markstay on twitter and the witches of woodville book have their own website uh, which is basically like the, the village website so it's witchesofwoodville.com Free books there as well. Lots of free books. Free books. Free books. Who we doesn't like... like a free book? I like to pay for my books. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Dave. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Ian, what about you? Uh, Ian W Sainsbury dot com. Ian W Sainsbury on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, same as Mark. If uh, on my website and on the Facebook page, you can you can sign up and and get a free short story. Uh, and all the books are on Amazon, so if you just search for Ian W. Sainsbury on Amazon, you'll find everything and the upcoming ones. And any, just one little gem of advice for any aspiring writers out there, what is the, what is the one thing that you might say to someone who's perhaps doubting themselves or struggling or just, just something that's kept you going in those, in those dark undercurrent times? Uh, the Stephen King thing always comes to mind for me, which is uh, you just keep showing up, and and he he calls the muse the the boys in the back room because they they're there ready to work, but they won't do it unless you're unless you show up. So that's uh, uh, it's consistency. Yeah, you can take days off, which is a great thing about doing what we do. You you can if it's not happening, fine. But you then the next day you go back and you you sit there again and uh, and and, tr- and keep trying. It's a treat it like a like a job in a way although of course it's also great fun when it's flowing but you know keep showing up brilliant 
Yeah, it's a similar kind of thing as well. We have a thing on the podcast called the 200 Word a Day Challenge where we just say, look, you just got to write 200 words a day and that can be 15, 20 minutes out of your regular day. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice, and this is something we had on the fifth anniversary show the other night, was from Dion Mayer, who uh, said it said this was an African proverb, but I, I, when I Googled it, it came up as Francis of Assisi. So anyway, it's a bit of wisdom, which is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I know some people can think, crikey, 80, 90,000 words for a novel or whatever. That's an awful lot of story to carry. But I think if you have an idea of you, you know where you're going, but focus on the moment. Focus on the moment that's right in front of you and make that as good as it can be. I, I've, I've also got a thing at the moment about having a strong central dramatic argument, a theme. And it can be a question that you use in every story beat. So for my current book, and it doesn't have to be mind-bogglingly original or anything. It's just, you know, so for my story, do we work better on our own or do we work better as a team? Okay, so it's nothing earth shattering, but it informs every single story beat of this of what I'm writing at the moment. And if I ever get stuck, I just ha- I had up my whiteboard over there. I just looked at that, and thought, oh, I-, I need to make it about the theme, and it really helps you keep on track. Great. So that's that's been a big revelation for me in the last year or so. Thank you both. Thank you lovely, very much. lovely gems there. And that's all, folks. Thank you as always to Hallam University for their wonderful use of facilities. Our producer Peter at Cornucopia Radio. And to you for listening. Couldn't do it without you. Bye. 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 If you've been playing along at home today, we'd love to see your responses to any of the prompts. And if you're a writer and would like to be on the show, please send us an email to promptyprompt at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at PromptyPrompt or head to our website, which is promptyprompt.co.uk or promptyprompt.com. We've got both, just in case. You'll find information there on our website about how to join our Discord server. Come and join the community, share your written work, connect with others and have fun with your own writing prompts. If you'd like more information on today's guests or a recap of the prompts, they're all available for you as part of the show notes. And finally, if you have enjoyed Prompty Prompt, and we really, really hope you have, please share the shit out of it. Tell your chums and tell your mums. And if you could give us a five-star rating so new listeners can find us more easily, that would be amazing. Thank you.